Hello and welcome to Elvenilo. Uh, you're probably wondering what has gone wrong with their theme tune to Elvenilo. And we said uh, a few episodes ago that if you heard that sound, it meant Adam got a delivery. Adam, why don't you tell everybody what delivery you got this week? See, so you say what, what's gone wrong, what's gone right? I'll tell you what's gone right. That's it. Wish, my wish has been granted. The genie's delivered. The pocket sax has arrived. So, yeah. And, and that was a, a short short little clip of me just trying out. Um, I <laughs> Is it, it easy to well. play the pocket sax? Uh, i got to tell you, no. So I have no saxophone, saxophony uh, experience. I have no woodwind instrument experience, full stop. My only experience of any wind, wood or otherwise, brass, whatever you want to call them, my only experience of mouth instruments i'm not sure where to go with this my only experience with these things is uh the recorder which we all learned to play uh from year seven onwards um which was not very good three blind mice i think was about the limit that i could play and then also uh the harmonica which i i do enjoy but this is nothing like the harmonica and the recorder although it looks like a recorder it looks like a giant recorder um just with someone sticking a a saxophone mouthpiece and read on it um but no this is completely different so i have no experience but hopefully uh i'm gonna try and stick at it this isn't gonna be another banjo i'm gonna stick at it i'm gonna try and learn it and then who knows i could be the next kenny g i'll grow my hair out i'll start playing sweet sweet sax just in the moonlight and it'll be beautiful come on amazing that's so funny you know for those who haven't seen it, maybe we should repost something on social media this week, Adam. But I think people would love to uh, love to hear more for they, them. Yeah, some people would love my, to see my sax, and that's that's something we can would. indulge. From my limited experience, I think it's got something to do because you've got the read in there. It's all about your tongue action. It's your tonguing that is. See, you know. now I know with the harmonica, the tongue action is very important. It's all about. Uh, making your tongue go up and down and moving your tongue, pressing it up against the harmonica. Um, the saxophone, I don't believe the tongue is much. The reed vibrates. You've got to make the reed vibrate. Um, and I know you're supposed to Maybe bite I'm down wrong on, on that. Well, Maybe I'm uh, thinking about the recorder, actually. You and me. I don't the, even know now. Me and you know about the same amount when it comes to the saxophone. I went into this very blindly, um, I've got to tell you. Um, but I'm I'm looking forward to hopefully getting some sounds out of it that, you know, that, that sound good. Well, to all those reed players, all we can say is, so sorry. Very sorry. Very, very so sorry. sorry. <laughs> how, how's your week been, Adam? How are you doing? Uh, my week has been, my week has been good. Um, it's been a quick one, which I like because, you know, when I'm working, I want it to go as quickly as possible. Uh, I think that's fair to say. Um, yeah, it went quick. Um... Yeah, not more. Not more can be said. Um, to travel on was a carry on from the football chat that we engaged mm-hmm. in uh, last week. I just want to say that four nil, brilliant victory last night uh, by City. Uh, Guard of honor means nothing. Four nil, spankers, beautiful, and we love to see it. Love to see it. It's oh, more enough. to come next season. I reckon. So right. That was it. I think. Yeah. I think City will win the league next season. Well, I'm I'm more hoping because the Champions League is still all to play for. Um, we, I think we beat Madrid in the first leg. We got Madrid again 
in the second leg of that of that game. And I'm hoping that this is the year. Because I think if we win the Champions League, Liverpool's season's irrelevant. What they've done is pointless because we've just won the Champions League for the first time. I know they've just ended their 30-year drought for a title, but then we'll have ended a 50-year drought or whatever for um, Champions League uh, or a European... Uh, as, a new, as a neutral fan in this scenario, mm. you know... I was a Man United fan. I'm kind of not wanting to support anyone anymore. I'm kind of fed up with football. Yeah. But I think that um, Liverpool winning the league is a better achievement than City winning the Champions League. I just really? like to put it out there. Wow. Yeah, I do. I do. I'm it's interesting how that. people can have opinions that are just completely wrong. <laughs> now, now, if we're talking <laughs> about it, you know, some teams and one team in particular has actually won. All three in one season, which you know. But but we don't we don't like that team anymore, do we, Matt? The, the Devils team. The not problem. really. No, it's not the Devils team. But mm. I've got a problem with corrupt leadership, and I mean, football teams are full of them. So, so I'm, I'm giving up on football. I don't don't okay. care anymore. Apart from maybe yeah. England when the Euros and the World I love Cup England. There is nothing corrupt about England. <laughs> <laughs> the FA is completely fair. <laughs> the country never done anything wrong. <laughs> and that is the view you'll find with most white supremacists. There we so, go. Uh, yeah. So there you go. It's been a good start to the podcast, hasn't it? Yeah, Here we are. It's been fun. It's been fun. But there you are. Tell us about your week as well. How's your week been? Um, well... I have had a good week. It's been a bit quieter than the last few, which has been good. Um, I bumped in, like literally bumped into, literally bumped into, like actually we both fell over each other. Oh, wow. Okay. Like we touched, we kind of went, oh, it was so awkward. But I bumped into Radio Legends. Oh. If, if you listen to Radio City in Liverpool, mm-hmm. which is not many people. Uh, Pete Price, who who is known for doing like late night radio mm-hmm. in Liverpool. And he, I mean, his show is known for ghost stories, yeah. which is a bit weird. Um, it's known for his crazy rants Ooh, at people. Big rants. Um, but they're very like, I mean, they're weird. And Pete Price, there's a rumour, and I think it's not really a rumour, that he's a lizard. It's completely true. He's an absolute. And I don't lizard. know where that's come from, but I think it was someone. Someone must have called up, and it's just grown. And people shout it to him on the streets, and he used to get very angry at it. I think he's a little bit more playful about it now. Um, but my one of my early memories of radio listening, um, maybe not early memories, but one during my teenage years when phones were not as good as they were, I used to have a little Samsung, a little slightly Samsung, and I had an FM radio on it. And so I used to spend my nights when I should have been asleep, and this is when I was like 13, 14, listening to Late Night with Pete Price. Um, I did similar, you know, yeah. I did the same thing. And it was it was, it was, was just joyful when, when someone called in and just took the mick out of him and he used to explode. And I was like, this is the job that I want. And honestly, it was just, it was just brilliant. It's it's actually like the best and the worst of Scousers all put together. Like, it's these people that have the most ridiculous opinions, but kind of the best Scouse accents. And then Pete Price just goes off on Wyatt. He he's quite short, you know, having a having virtually lay on the floor with him. <laughs> he's quite short, and he's quite old now. So I, I actually feel quite bad that I knocked over. 
a radio legend. A, a geriatric, really. You, you knocked over an old person, and that is a yeah. crime in some countries. So. Um. <laughs> but where where I was on the way to mm. was actually, I was going to Five Guys with our sister Lydia. Lovely. And so, you know, it's nice to be able to eat out mm. now. Uh, so we went to Nando's, and we couldn't get the after work. So we went to Five Guys, and, you know, we don't need too much detail, but beef is not my friend. Beef. That was the first, yeah, that was the first burger or beef item that I'd had in three months. Wow. And I won't be going back. It wow. it was really bad. So I'm beef. one step closer to being a vegan, really. It's only chicken that I... Uh, oh, a cheese. I chicken I, and cheese. I don't... Oh, yeah, cheese. Yeah, there cheese, man. Mm-hmm. Although we don't have any cheese in this house anymore. We just don't do it. Oh. We, we try not to do any dairy products. Wow. It's, yeah, quite, so. it's quite admirable. Because dairy farms are, are a big... For people who do go vegan, I'm not one myself, but for people who do go vegan, their big kind of reason for it is the fact that dairy farms are really damaging the planet. Um, yeah, definitely. So I, I think that's quite... You know what? I think I think I should probably look into cutting out milk. You should. Do. I don't. You should I don't do. buy a lot of milk, but I do love a good bit of cereal late at night. So if I could maybe replace that with a a dairy substitute, you know, do my bit. Why not? But mozzarella yeah, not? cheese. Well, they've not found a good replacement for that yet. So. But you could have it as a treat. Yeah, it's true. And then that'll be it. But yeah. So anyway, and cowspiracy. If you want to watch anything like that, mm. will I mean that will put you off dairy. Um, it talks about the American. Or mainly American, like um, dairy industry, mm. and how it's just killing the world, basically. Um, so yeah, so there you go. So so the, the it was nice to hang out with Lydia. Though we had a nice time. Uh, the seagulls in Liverpool are taking over. Mm. They haven't been fed for like three months. <laughs> like they're going mental. They're like, I saw a woman walking with a a quarter pounder, right, and she went to put it to her mouth, and the seagull got it. We're wow. not by the beach. This is like city centre. Mm-hmm. And she ran off crying. <laughs> <laughs> it was funny, but it wasn't funny. <laughs> I felt really bad. So, but anyway. Anyway, so that's my week in a nutshell. But it's it's been quite a good week. Getting to, uh, we had a bit of a, we had a gig this weekend, didn't we, Adam? We did. That was cancelled and then put back on and then cancelled again. Roller coaster. So, Roller coaster. <laughs> It it would have been good on EastEnders. It was uh, Ronan Keaton. Life is a roller coaster. Just got to ride yeah, it. It was, Oof. and so I was a bit bummed out by that. But I mean, Me you know that's life, isn't it? It is. That's life. There'll be opportunities again. I'm sure. Hopefully. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Possibly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, anyway, let's get on to some music chat, shall we? Let's. So this week's album. It's from 1968, and it is Johnny Cash at Folsom Prison. Mm -hmm. Really iconic album. Even if you're not really uh, a Johnny Cash fan, you may have heard of this album before. Uh, And, oh, it's so good. It's so good. And we have looked at this year already because Mm. it came out in 1968, which is the same year that the Zombies album, our first ever episode, that came out in 1968. So if you haven't listened to that yet, go and listen to it. Mm. You can hear a much younger Matt and Adam. Mm. And by much younger, I mean three months. Three months. Three months. On three months. But it was... Uh, it's that. That's what coronavirus has done. It's aged us. Aged us horrendously. I've got gr- like grey and white hairs coming out in my beard and my hair, which wasn't there three months ago. 
coincidence? I think not. <laughs> I mean, I may just be getting older. But. Hey, you're on the right side of 30, so it's all that matters. Yeah. Just about, just, just about. about. Ooh, anyway, we were we were trying to get onto the music chat. Mm, sorry, yeah. <laughs> so, Adam, we've already done 1968. Why don't you give us a little bit of a bio on the one, the only Johnny Cash, the man in black himself? Um, I'm going to tell you now, people. I'm going to try and make this as fun as I can, but strap in because uh, I love this man and I wanted to give him a proper proper biography. So. Come on. We're going in. Sam. It's always good when someone says before they start, this is a long one. This is a long one. When you hear the words, strap on it, strap on in. It's what you want. I'm trying to make my voice smoother like yours, Matt, because I've been I've never it. heard that says strap on in. Strap that makes me on uncomfortable. in. Wow. Belt up. Here we go. So, uh, Johnny Cash, uh, J.R. Cash, was born on February 26th, 1932. So a long, long time ago in Kingsland, Arkansas. Um, I was about to read that Arkansas as well. That's how terrible my uh, literacy has gone in this lockdown. Arkansas uh, to Carrie Clovey and Ray Cash. And he was born the fourth of seven children. Um, in birth order, they were Roy, Margaret, Louise, Jack, JR, which is Johnny Cash, Reba, Joanne and Tommy Cash. Uh, Tommy Cash, who became a successful country artist in his own right. Um Spoiler alert, I've not heard of him, so uh, maybe... This is why this is going to be long, because you're going to do a genealogy on the Cash family. It's going to be, if anyone's a Bible reader, it's going to be like Numbers (laughs) and Seth Begot and all that, and it's going to go in. Come on. Um, So in March 1935, when Cash was just three years old, the family settled in Dias, Arkansas, um, which was a New Deal colony, which was established to give poor families the opportunity to work land that they may later own. So in the 1930s, it's the uh, the Great Depression. Uh, global economy has absolutely crashed after the Roaring Twenties. And the president at the time, Franklin Roosevelt, had come in and he decided he, he needed to stimulate the US economy. So he did this by creating jobs. He had this thing called the New Deal. And part of that New Deal was essentially uh, giving people land to work that they can grow things, sell that on, get a bit of money, stimulate the economy, essentially like that. So that's where Johnny Cash's family um, established themselves, uh, growing cotton. Um, And from the age of five, Johnny Cash worked in cotton fields with his family. And in cotton fields, this kind of goes back to to kind of um, slave plantation tradition. Um, They sang songs while they they worked. Um, So Johnny Cash, five years old, picking cotton, singing songs with his family in 1935. Um, now, in 1944, um, tragedy strikes the Cash family when his older brother, Jack, um, with whom he was very, very close with, was seriously injured in an accident at his job uh, in a high school. Um, he was pulled into an unguarded table saw while cutting uh, fence posts, and he was kind of almost cut into. Um and it's documented that on his deathbed, his brother, um, Jack, tells Johnny that he could see angels. Um, and he kind of died of his injuries later on. And Johnny Cash <coughs> often spoke of his guilt over the incident. Um, and also spoke of looking forward to meeting his brother in heaven. And this is a really, the reason I mention it, it's really um, something that's woven into Johnny Cash's life. His religion and his faith. Um, obviously coming from the south of America where Christianity 
is very much a part of people's lives. Um, yeah, religion and faith was very much part of Johnny Cash's identity. He may not have always been very outspoken about it, but he was very much a part of his identity and his music. Um, Johnny Cash's early memories were mostly dominated by gospel music um, and, and radio. He was taught guitar by his mother and a childhood friend, and he began playing and writing songs at the age of 12. Um, and also while he was younger. So we know Johnny Cash for having quite a deep, very smooth, lovely voice. Almost like yours, Matt. Beautiful, smooth voice. Um, but when he was young, he was actually a high tenor. Um, but then he became a bass baritone after his voice changed, after his voice broke. If only all of us were so lucky to get a voice break like that. I've been stuck with the same voice I've had since I was 12. And it's... Uh, yeah, it's a bit depressing, but anyway. A high tenor uh, is still quite low, so... Oh, is it? See, for I kids, that, yeah, uh, that's still quite uh, low, I think. Okay. See, I, I heard the word high and thought... See, this is where your musical knowledge really really beats mine into submission. Um, but anyway, he becomes this bass baritone that we all know and love. Uh, moving on in his life, going into the 50s, Johnny Cash enlisted in the US Air Force, kind of following um, Elvis. In that tradition, Elvis joined the army. Uh, Johnny Cash did too. Um, and he was later assigned to a squadron in West Germany uh, as a radio operator intercepting Soviet radio transmissions. Now, I mention that because apparently on March the 3rd, 1953, he received a telegraph noting that Soviet leader Stalin, Joseph Stalin, had died, which would have made him the first Westerner to be aware of his death, which is quite cool if that's true. There's a little bit of a, a folk legend around that. So he was Worlds the first... collide. I know. The first one who knew that Stalin was dead, which is a, a big thing because obviously he led uh, the USSR through World War II. Um, and, and yeah, just just a bit of a mad one, that little Johnny Cash, who was unknown at this time, may have first known about it. Um, so in 1954, he leaves uh, the Air Force and him and his newlywed wife, Vivian, moved to Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, where he had where he had a job selling appliances while he studied to be a radio announcer because that's what he wanted to do, um, and at night he played with guitarist Luther Perkins and bassist Marshall Grant, and they become known as the Tennessee Two, and um, Perkins and Grant, and they back up Johnny Cash, um, during some of his early years, um, Cash eventually worked up the courage to visit the famous Sun Records studio, um, which was already home to. Jerry Lee Lewis and Elvis Presley. They were already on that record label. Um, and he auditioned for the owner of that, Sam Phillips. He auditioned by singing mostly gospel songs, only to learn from the producer that he no longer recorded gospel music. Sam Phillips has had enough. Gospel isn't selling. Everyone does gospel records. It's not worth his time. He wants something else. He wants something that he can sell. Uh, so Phillips is rumoured to have told Cash to go home and sin and then come back with a song that I can sell. Um, although apparently in a 2002 interview, uh, Johnny Cash denied that Phillips ever made any comment. I like the way that it's portrayed in the uh, film that Joaquin Phoenix is in with Reese Witherspoon, um, where Sam Phillips is telling Johnny Cash, I don't do gospel anymore, it doesn't sell. Um, and then Johnny Cash in this film adaptation goes, have you got anything against the Air Force? because I do, and then sings Folsom Prison Blues, which would be great if that happened. I don't know whether it did, but... Um, yeah, so he he performs these grittier songs, um, and that wins over Sam Phillips, and he gets a recording contract. 
1955, Johnny Cash makes his first recordings at Sun Studios with songs like Hey Porter and Cry Cry Cry, which were later released in late June and met with a big success on the country hit parade. So he instantly becomes this he instantly becomes a bit of a success just from those recordings. Now, mentioning around Sun Studios, this magical night happens on December 4th, 1956. So Elvis drops by um, while Carl Perkins was in the studio cutting some new tracks and Jerry Lee Lewis is also there backing him on the piano. So um, so in this Sun Studios, you've got Jerry Lee Lewis, incredible piano player, Elvis Presley, the king, wasn't known at the time but still, Johnny Cash and Carl Perkins, who's this great guitar player as well. So um, they, the four of them start an impromptu jam session and Sam Phillips leaves the tapes running and the recordings, almost half of which were actually, ironically, gospel songs, uh, were recorded and, and survived. And they have since been released under the title The Million Dollar Quartet, um, which is quite incredible. Um, wow, I didn't can, know that. And yeah, so if you can imagine being in that studio with these young talents who go on to conquer the world of rock and roll and, and rockabilly and country music. And they're just all there at the start of their careers, um, just singing these songs, having a good time, just having a laugh, um, singing the songs of their childhood. It's quite incredible. And they become known, as I say, as the Million Dollar Quartet. And if you're interested uh, in Johnny Cash's autobiography, he wrote that he was the furthest from the microphone and he sang in a higher pitch to actually blend in with Elvis. Because um, I can imagine it'd be quite difficult to hear two very strong, deep voices in a mix. Um, so that's just a fun little fun little tidbit. Um, although he was uh, Sun Records' most consistently selling and high prolific artist at that time, Johnny Cash felt like he was constrained by his contract with the small label. Sun Records isn't the big label that these other ones are, um, like Columbia Records and stuff like that. So he's feeling a bit constrained and he's, uh, he's not happy. Um, Sam Phillips didn't want Cash to record any gospel, but Johnny's like, well, I, I want to record gospel. It's, it's really part of my heritage. My mum sang me gospel, sang it in the cotton fields, really want to do it. Um, and he was also only being paid a 3% royalty rather than the standard 5% royalty. It always comes down to money, it seems, um, with these types of things. Elvis had already left Sun, Phil Sun Records uh, and Sam Phillips was focusing more of his attention on promoting Jerry Lee Lewis. So in 58, Johnny Cash leaves Sam Phillips to sign a very lucrative offer with Columbia Records. Um, so he leaves the first label that he's with and goes on to get into his career. So we're moving on now into the early 60s. Um, so in the 60s, Cash toured with the Carter family, um, which by that time regularly included Mother Maybelle's daughters, Anita, Helen, and his future wife, June Carter, um, who he later would go on to marry after his first uh, marriage ends. Um, I think there was a bit of an overlap, and I think he has a bit of an affair with June Carter, which causes a bit of a scandal. Um, but also what creates a bit of a scandal is June Carter is is divorced. So in these times, if you're a divorced woman, there's a bit of stigma with that. There's a bit of shame. Um, so the two of them are a bit of a bit of a an outrageous pairing. Um, but they they get and together a, later. And outcasts as well, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, but both extremely talented, and the Carter family 
of this really talented family that sing all together and they've got records out and they're on the radio constantly. Um, so, yeah, so they, they tour together in the 60s. And as his career was taking off in the late 50s and 60s, um, it's notable to say that Johnny Cash started drinking very heavily and he became addicted to amphetamines and other substances. And for a brief time, he actually shared an apartment in Nashville with Waylon Jennings another famous artist. And Waylon Jennings was deeply, deeply addicted to amphetamines, um, which is really sad. But they, they shared this apartment together. Um, we talked about Waylon Jennings when we were on... Uh, who were we talking about when we were talking about... Um, hey, Good Looking. It wasn't Buddy Holly, it was... Hey, Good Looking, him. Wow. What's his name? This is a strong moment Hank for Williams. Hank, Hank Williams. Hank Williams. <laughs> let, me, let me redo that bit again. Go on. Um, what's his name? Waylon. Waylon Jennings. Great. And we talked about Waylon Jennings when we were talking about Hank Williams, mm. weren't we? And, yeah. and his life and his death. Yeah. He was involved with that. So Damn. go and listen back to that if you haven't already. Please do. Please do. Um, and although in many ways Johnny Cash was kind of spiralling out of control, he can still deliver hits um, due to his frenetic creativity. So his rendition of Ring of Fire... It was a crossover hit which reached reached number one on the country charts and also entered the top 20 on the pop charts. Ring of Fire, as we all know, with that wonderful mariachi influence, which was actually Johnny Cash's idea. So the Carter sisters had originally wrote it and sang it on tour. Um, and then Johnny Cash comes in and goes, how about we put some some horns over the top of it with this mariachi style? And if you ever go sing Ring of Fire to someone, they always do that trumpet line. It's like the most fam- one of the most famous trumpet lines. Um, so I'll soon be playing that on the pocket sax. I'll be watching out for that. Um, Come on. And uh, although... So during all these times, during his career, Johnny Cash kind of creates this persona for himself as, a, as an outlaw. Um, but however, although he created this really romantic outlaw image, he never actually served a prison sentence, uh, despite landing in jail several times for some misdemeanors and some certain drug... Uh, allegations and things like that he actually only stayed one night on each day so he never did a long stretch in prison um even though he can relate to these people in prison as we'll go on to talk about with this album in a few moments but he's never actually this crazy outlaw it's more just a romanticized persona um yeah. and he so he goes to jail but he yeah. never goes to prison that's basically yeah. Yeah, it's oh, just it's... local sheriffs, you know, jail, stuff like that. He's never in there for a big stretch. Um, so um, he also made some concept albums in the mid-60s. Um, it, one he did was called Bitter Tears, which was a number of poems which was discussing the plight of Native Americans and how they were being um, kind of maligned and sidelined by the government. So he's it's quite this this strange duality of Johnny Cash. He's this broken person who is deep in addiction, but he's also got this this heart that really wants to lift up people who are broken, um, hence why he wears black, but we'll get onto that in a moment. Um, so reaching a low with his severe drug addiction and destructive behaviour, Johnny Cash divorced his first wife uh, and had performances cancelled. But he still continued to find success. This is what's amazing about Johnny Cash. His life is going down the crapper, but he's still bringing out these hit songs that people love, and he's still relatable. Um, and he did a song called Jackson with June Carter, um, which actually won a Grammy Award. 
1967. So it's quite incredible. Um, there's an unconfirmed story that in the early 1967, in early 1967, Cash actually had a spiritual epiphany in a cave. Um, story goes that Johnny Cash goes into this cave, he's had enough, he's fed up, he just wants to die. So his plan is to go into this cave and just wander about until he gets lost. Um, but um, trying to lose himself and just die, but he passes out on the floor. Um, and then he manages to find his way out um, by following a cool breeze and following the light. And through all this, he feels like God's presence is with him. So that religion comes back to him and that faith comes back to him. And from then on, he, he gets off drugs. Um, he stays with the Carter family for a month to, to get sober. And he actually proposes on stage to June on February 22nd in London, in Con London, Ontario. Sorry, not our London, Canada, London. Um, so he, he decides to marry June Carter, but June decides that she won't marry him until he gets cleaned up. So you've kind of gone from real depressed, addicted Johnny Cash to having a, a religious epiphany and he's now getting his life back on track. Um, and he continues to have a strong career. Um, so from 69 to 71, whilst he's kind of clean, uh, he has the Johnny Cash show. Um, it's like a little country show, um, which is quite incredible. And in the 70s, he solidified his persona as the man in black, as this man who wants to raise up people who don't have a voice, as this man who wants to speak up about native indigenous rights um, with this man in black. And he writes a song, kind of like Dylan. It's a very Dylan-esque song, in my opinion in 1971, called Man in Black. Um, and some of the lyrics of that, it says, We're doing mighty fine, I do suppose, in our streak of lightning cars and fancy clothes. But just so we're reminded of the ones who are held back, up front there ought to be a man in black. So he really does care about these these people um, who don't have a voice. I told you this was a long one, but we are getting to the end of it. In 1980, Johnny Cash becomes the Country Hop Music Hall of Fame's youngest living inductee at age 48. But during the 1980s, his records kind of failed to make a major impact on the country charts. And um, so the 80s is where he starts to kind of see a decline. But Johnny Cash, being the creative force that he is, teams up again with Waylon Jennings. Willie Nelson and Chris Christopherson, which is a great name, to create The Highwaymen. And they release a number of songs, a number of albums that go right up the charts. Willie Nelson's already kind of famous, big name. Waylon Jennings is a big name. Chris Christopherson was a big name at the time. And they create this almost super group. This is before the Travelling Wilburys, when George Harrison is off doing it with Roy Orbison and that. And they create this super group, The Highwaymen, and just have success. Um... So, coming towards the 90s and the end of Johnny Cash and the Man in Black, uh, although he would never really have another chart hit um, from 1991 until his death, um, one of many older country acts to be derailed by changes in the industry those years. His career was rejuvenated in the 90s and the early 2000s, leading to popularity with an audience which were not traditionally considered interested in country music. So he rejuvenates his career by the albums called The American Recordings. Now these albums are full of stripped back songs, covers, originals, um, songs that you wouldn't think a country music star would cover. So he covers uh, U2's One, um, in this beautiful arrangement, and he covers Nine Inch Nails' Hurt, 
which everyone has definitely heard. If you've not really listened to Johnny Cash, you have heard his rendition of Hurt. And he's this older man with a frailer voice. And he does this beautiful cover of this heavy, very heavy song. The Nine Inch Nails version is is very heavy. It's almost like a metal song, kind of um, metal punk song. Um, and it's quite it's like very new age. It's mm-hmm. like it's not very easy to listen to. And yeah. Johnny Cash, something around those American uh, recordings is he kind of flips the perspective mm. of everything. So an example is like all my life by john lennon the mm. beatles song when he does that but he's at the end of his life with this voice that is really like got a lot of experience behind it and this old man singing it mm. you know when john lennon sings he's thinking about when he was a young boy in liverpool whereas and his life now whereas you know this 80 year old man getting close to 90 years years old is talking about his whole life the all the things that he regrets all the things that he's done and it it's in it all of those albums are amazing aren't they yeah like they're they're so so good Mm. and uh, and another song that's popped into my mind about those recordings that you should everyone should definitely listen to is it he does a cover of simon and garfunkel's bridge over troubled water and again it's that experienced voice it's still the johnny cash voice from this album that we're going to talk about live at Folsom, but it's just got that experience and that, that depth to it. Yeah. Um, that is just. Can I add one beautiful. more song? Of course. They're so good that so, like I feel like we just need to talk about it. Mm. Um, I hung my head, Ooh. which is a which is a uh, Sting song, huh? and Sting like writes this song, and it's like in seven eight, mm. and it's like, it's too fancy for its own good because when Johnny Cash strips it back puts it in 4-4 it's it makes me cry every time it's so good it's such a good song definitely check out those american recordings there's there's loads of them isn't there there's Mm -hmm. quite a few of them there's uh, like five or six albums worth it's like a renaissance renaissance and any artist would be proud of them if that was just their career Mm. but this is like this is just part of his career isn't Mm -hmm. it yeah and it's incredible um so during the, the 90s and kind of late 80s, Johnny Cash and his wife June um, appear on a number of episodes of the television, television series Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. Um, but more importantly, Johnny Cash lends his voice for a cameo role in a Simpsons episode called, and I'm going to butcher this, so I do apologise, El Viaggi Misterioso di Nostro Gema, which is the mysterious voyage of Homer. I butchered that up massively, but I apologise. I think he did okay. So that episode of The Simpsons, I really encourage people to watch it because it's a great episode. Don't, after you've watched it, pull your pants down and say, kiss my kid of a yellow butt. Your parents will not like you doing that, especially if it's in front of your grandparents. But it's a a great episode. Homer goes on this spiritual journey and Johnny Cash voices this space coyote who guides him on this, this wonderful journey. And it's just this great... Uh, showing of how Johnny Cash is this character in later life he's got a lot of humour he was a really funny guy um, and he, he had a great voice he, he re- recorded um, I'm sure he recorded some readings of the Bible um, and I just think it's really important that yes he was a great singer but he was a really great narrator and just really really catching voice that really makes you sit up and listen um, so in the 90s, we're coming towards the end. In 97, 
Uh, during a trip to New York City, Johnny Cash is diagnosed with a neurodegenerative disease called Shy Dragger Syndrome, uh, which is a form of, of MS, um, multiple system atrophy. Oh, that's not MS. He's got a form of multiple system atrophy. However, he continued to make appearances and records, so he's still doing shows. He's still um, putting stuff out, like the American recordings in like the 2000s. Um, however, sadly, his wife dies before him, so... June Carter Cash dies on May 15th, 2003, just age 73. So not actually that old at all. Um, so June actually tells Johnny Cash to keep working so he continues to record, completing 60 songs in the last four months of his life. Um, he even wow. performed surprise shows at the Carter Family Fold outside Bristol, Virginia, and at the July 5th, 2003 concert, which was his last public performance before singing ring of fire uh, johnny cash reads out a statement that he had written shortly before taking the stage about his wife so he read out the spirit of june carter overshadows me tonight with the love she had for me and the love i have for her we connect somewhere between here and heaven she came down for a short visit i guess from heaven to visit with me tonight to give me courage and inspiration like she always has she's never been one for me She's never been one for me except courage and inspiration. I thank God for June Carter. I love her with all my heart. And that really just shows that June Carter was really the person that saved Johnny Cash. Because she was like, well, I'm not going to marry her until you get clean. And he desperately loved her and desperately wanted to marry her. And so he got clean. He relapsed a bunch of times during his life. Um, but he always got clean. And I feel like he always got clean for her. Um, and so four months... Only four months after June passed away, Johnny Cash died as well. Um, he died of complications from diabetes on September the 12th, 2003. He was actually aged just 71. So he could have I thought still... he went much longer than that. Yeah. I thought he lived into his 80s and yeah. 90s. No, he was still much longer. If you think of, like, Paul McCartney still going um, mm. now, and he's coming up to 80, if not turned 80. He's nearly 80, yeah. Nearly, nearly 80. 80. Johnny Cash could have definitely perform for another 10 years drones well up until 2013 might even still be alive today maybe just um so really, <laughs> maybe um maybe not uh no he would have he'd have been he'd have been like yeah, I mean, 87 this yeah, is the maths okay, coming my maths yeah the maths yeah. isn't worth it but regardless um he passes away just four months after his wife dies and he was buried next to her in Hendersonville Memory Gardens near his home in Hendersonville, Tennessee. Um, so a long, long life and a long... It's cute, isn't it, as well? It's just beautiful. And I think there's a there's a, that bridge over troubled water. I believe she sings on that with him. Um, and she's definitely in the video yeah, for so. Hurt. Um, if you watch the video for Hurt, that song we were talking about just before, she's in the video. Um, and you can see on their faces that they, they are old. They look old, um, and <laughs> but a, I mean that in a way that's they a look funny old. Way of but, saying it. but you also see Johnny. So there's an image of she's at the bottom of the stairs and Johnny Cash is at the top, and he's looking down on her, and it's just you can see the love in his eyes. So you can understand how some you know how they say some people pass away from a broken heart. I, I think this was definitely that in this case. Um, but yeah, th this man, such an incredible life, such an incredible career. Um, I'd say cut short. Um, at just seventy one, I think he still probably has some some something to give. 
um, but gave so much. So that is <laughs> the quite long, um, but I tried to compact it as much as I could, uh, Life and Times of the Man in Black, Mr. Johnny Cash. Amazing, amazing. Thank you so much. And you know what? Like, it's worth doing because he's an amazing artist and mm. character and yeah. he's done so much for music and, you know... I think it's important for us to talk about those later albums because they are really that good. They're yeah. so, so good. Uh, but we're going to go back to 1968. And yeah. This is an uh, interesting time in life. If you, if you want to go back to episode one, check that out. We would, you know, recommend that, obviously, because mm. it's our episode. Uh, <laughs> some notable artists and albums at this time bob dylan's at the top of his game just released john wesley harding which is a bit of a weird album but you know it's there otis redding and the four tops the beatles the stones this is a time in music when basically um record companies are pumping music into pop music and they are did i say pumping music pumping money into music yeah. pop music and not pumping music uh and so Johnny Cash uh, signs with a new record label, but they don't really want to put much money in. But he has this amazing idea of recording at Folsom Prison. Hmm. So they they uh, contact a number of prisons, and Folsom Prison is the first one that gets back to them. So they do it in Folsom Prison. Um, and do you know what? What an album. Yeah. What an amazing, amazing album. Let's talk about it. So the album open it, just even the first 10 seconds is so iconic that mm. hi i'm johnny cash is like come on and the room erupts mm. and they love him and you know this album is full of balls man yeah, it's full of like hardcore like punk attitudes like that thing that you said about um you know, he was never convicted, but he romanticised the outlaw image. Mm. This is the album that he just does that on, isn't it? And he has so much charisma. Like, mm. it's amazing the charisma that he has, even just in his opening, like, Hi, I'm Johnny Cash. And then he, like, he laughs in the middle of a song and people love it and he just, like, laughs it off. He, like swears on it because he knows he's not meant to and the prisoners just love it and they find it so funny and you know he talks about shooting people violence against women all these things that we don't like we don't condone it at all like we condemn that stuff it's really bad and i'm amazed that they got away with doing this stuff because it's like you're just inciting violence in a prison (laughs) you're like romanticizing it right there and then I've got no idea how this was allowed to be made. But in a way, I'm so glad it was made. And, you know, it would have been easy to antagonize, not antagonize, but like to flare up these prisoners. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I think it's amazing. If you watch the film uh, Walk the Line, you know, this is this is part of that. Uh, They they cover this this um, recording and it. Mm. It's, that's an amazing film, isn't it? I really wanted to watch it this weekend, it's didn't so get a chance. Yeah. But I'm going to watch it this weekend, I think. It's one of my favourites. So, favorites. so good. And... Mm. So let's talk about some uh, songs that really stood out for us. Yeah. What about you, Adam? What songs? Um, So this song has got about four or five that really, really stand out because they've got that iconic 
classic cash sound which has been described as steady like a train sharp like a razor because if there's one thing about johnny cash is he's just got that rhythm down with his band and with himself he used to play guitar with uh, like a five dollar bill or something stuffed in the strings so that it didn't make noise but he could he could do like a little train chugging sound on it i'm sure there's a, a proper name for it but he he was yeah it's just like train music it's just great and it has that beat the kind of chugging along beat and some songs that kind of do that that stand out orange blossom special Um, i think that song is incredible the pace of it the drums on it um, so the Statler Brothers play on this, um, who were a musician group, um, and I believe the one of the Statler Brothers is playing drums. And I just think the, spe- the pace of it, as someone who plays drums, a lot of the drums on this album go over my head. How quick he's playing, how loud it must have been, but how clear the recording is. You know, this isn't recording in a studio. This is a live recording when live recordings weren't that great, but also not in a music theatre or a, a ground. It's in a prison. So they didn't have a lot of great equipment, but but it sounds great on Orange Blossom Special. Um, another one, 25 Minutes to Go, a song about a man who's getting hung in 25 minutes. It's just an, an example of great storytelling, which Johnny Cash is brilliant at. Um, fun lyrics, like you say, making the inmates laugh. It's just brilliant. Uh, Cocaine yeah. Blues. It, can we just talk about that song, Let's 25 Minutes? Before yeah. we, do you know what? When I heard that song, mm. it is kind of fun. But it literally shook me to my core. Really? Like, it's amazing, yeah. but it's so deep and heavy. Like, a man dies in 25 minutes, mm-hmm. and this is his narrative of it. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. It's, it's so amazing. good. And, like, it just ends very abruptly. And I was like, oh, that's a bit of a weird ending. And I was like, oh, but that's how life ends if you're mm-hmm. being hung. Absolutely. <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah. it says something like, like the. Uh, the governor is saying how I'm going to burn in hell, but I'm just really cold right now. And I'm yeah. like, wow, that, that is not, that's a, that's not how it, it was said, but it's just an amazing lyrics. And mm-hmm. it really should, like me and Becky were talking in the car as we were listening to it. And suddenly we both stopped right. as it got to like five minutes ago. Yeah. And I was like, wow, and what's going to happen? The it, anticipation yeah. was weird. It ramps up. And the music's the amazing. Up. Yeah, it's just... Yeah, and there's a key change or a couple of key changes in there. Mm. Unbelievable song, just amazing. It's just great. Um, yeah, Cocaine Blues is another one of them, telling a story. That one's a bit more fun, but again, it's got that real violent, you know, my woman cheated on me, so I got a gun, shot her, went home, went to sleep, put the gun on the bed, they found me. You know, all this. And it was all because I was high on cocaine. Like, you're singing... Like, people badmouth songs these days. Oh, it's just about sex and guns and drugs and stuff. That's what this song is about. This song is about sex and guns and drugs. Um, and it's 1968. And, and people might not expect that from from music at this time. But, but there it is. Country music mm. especially. Um, yeah. And another one that I just love is I Got Stripes. Because that's another one with a key chain. Key changing. Um, just brilliant songs but johnny cash and his brilliance doesn't just do these kind of fun shocking songs that are about crime and he flips on his head and he does these quite beautiful songs like send a picture of mother and give my love to rose and it made me think these are perfect songs for the audience that he's playing to he's playing to incarcerated men he's playing to men who may never get out of jail or have been in jail a super long time um and he just 
whilst he's got this romanticised, you know, persona of being a criminal, he's obviously not one. But the people he's singing to are. He's singing about their real-life experiences. And I think it's just brilliant. And like you said, how he could have incited a riot, um, which he definitely could have done with some of the songs. But I think playing these songs like Give My Love to Rose and Send a Picture of Mother are these beautiful songs are reminding these people of what they've got on the outside. Not in a mean way to like hold it over their head, but to remind them what they've got to live for once they get out. You know, maybe it's it's their family. Uh, maybe it's, you know, a wife or a girlfriend they've left behind. And I just think it's brilliant. It's brilliant set planning by Johnny Cash there because he clearly knows, well, I can't just do songs about killing people and hanging. I need to give these people a bit of hope. So let's do a song about you know, the woman they've got on the outside or their mother or family members. It's just it's just brilliant. It's brilliant empathy. It's brilliant, you know, set planning from a man like we talked about who, who wants to lift people up and wants to give them a voice. So this is his kind of way of doing that by, by singing songs about their experiences, not just the horrible experiences that landed them in jail, but the experiences that they've got about wanting to get out of jail. I just think it's it's just brilliant. Yeah, and something that you said like before is he holds these two personas of the outlaw, but someone who has a really great heart for people. And I, I watched a bit of a documentary about how he wanted to go into prison and he was really desperate to go into prison to do this for the men that were there and the people that were there. And I thought there was something amazingly like Christ-like about that, do you know what I mean? Just to like you know he turned to faith later on in life um and he always had it but made it a real part of his life later on and i just thought like that caring for others and caring for the one who do- who doesn't have as much hope as you do is a is a wonderful thing and a beautiful thing and i really really respected that and enjoyed it you know and he even sings a song that's been written by one of the inmates uh, Greystone Chapel was written by an inmate at Folsom Prison and I just thought it was so, such a thoughtful thing to do and just really great, just really great. I didn't know that, that's, a, that's really good. Yeah, this was, this was one of the first albums that I bought on vinyl um, because I definitely, and it comes with this book that's got some pictures um, of the recording process and some of the inmates and it's just incredible, this really bare stage. It is just him and his band. Um, and then this row of, like, must be close to 100 men. Um, you know, some of them presumably quite dangerous men. And, yeah, it's just interesting how he's not ashamed to bring his wife into that. He knows it'll all be okay because he's not there as a guard to rule over them. He's there as a friend. He's there as a, a soothing agent to them almost to entertain them, but to also reach out to them. Because um, I don't think I don't think many people would want to bring their wife into a situation like that. But, but, he, no, but he does. He does. He does. He does. Yeah. You know, we're, go- we're going quite long on this, so why don't we uh, take a break and then we're going to talk about... Uh, the, I, I'm good for going long, you know what I mean? It's, it's good, good stuff in it, but let, let's take a break and we'll uh, come back and we'll talk about the comparison album women in music part three by Haim. so we'll be back after this okay welcome back from 
the break. If truth be told, uh, before we before we went to the break, an alarm started going off. So we tried to wait for the alarm to go off, and it wouldn't. It didn't stop for like half an hour, and so me and Adam ran out of time. So we're now recording part two, a good five hours later. How's the last five hours been, Adam? Um, it's almost gone in the blink of an eye. Um, wow. No, it's been good. It's been good. Just a, a nice chill evening. Um, yeah, it feels it feels like we're at the beginning of the podcast. It does. Will your first half hour be better than your second half hour? Or I don't know. the The first half hour was very strong. Right, <laughs> in your opinion. <laughs> in my in my humble opinion, strongest yet. Yeah, great, amazing. <laughs> amazing. You like so, the sound of my voice. <laughs> so, so here we are. Uh, and we're looking at the third album by Haim, uh, which is Women in Music Part 3, or Wimpy for short. Uh, and if you don't know Haim, oh my goodness, you have got some listening to do. Haim are three sisters from California who make music together and they originally started as a family band. They did it with their parents as well. Uh, and but they don't do that anymore. They just do it as the three of them, and they are one of the biggest indie, well, not indie, but like as a genre indie, like alternative bands of the last ten years. Uh, and they they virtually play everything themselves. So Danielle, who is the lead singer, is also the drummer, and so they get a, like a a live session drummer when they go on tour and things like that. But there's no the. They're just such great musicians, and she also sings, also plays guitar. The bass player is sick, man. Oh, they're such oh. a great band. They're so good. And their last album, Something to Tell You, uh, was one of the best albums of the last 10 years, I'm calling it. And it sounded amazing. It had these great synths. It was like feel good. It was like, I think it was summer 2016, something like that, 2017. Mm-hmm. Oh, just such a great album. And so... Yeah, I was really excited to get this album on and uh, to get listening to it. But I think this album is quite different than that. Um, I think this album is is very different. And so what did you think of the album, Adam? Uh, yeah, like you, very excited. Very excited to uh, to get into Heim. You got me onto Heim. Um, oh, did I? And yeah, you did. And you like, and I gave him a listen. I was very impressed. Um one thing that people should to just go away from this album for a second about Haim. One thing people should look at is their cover of Shania Twain's "That Don't Impress Me Much." Oh yeah, I forgot Triple about J, that. Which is an Australian radio show, like a version uh, YouTuber. It's very good, and it just kind of shows off their their musical abilities, I think, um, and their their way of having fun. So I was looking forward to this. Um, this is a good album. This is a strong, another strong album. Um. Yeah, just you can tell brilliant musicians. It comes out on this uh, great bass lines. The drums, I feel like with high, the drums are never flashy, but that's not a bad thing. They're steady, and it's what you want mm. in a good drummer. It's solid. It serves the song well. Yeah, it doesn't overdo it or anything like that. I suppose one thing you could say about a lot of previous drummers in history, if you think like Led, um, Led Zeppelin, John Bonham. Um and and um Mitch Mitchell was he Jimi Hendrix drummer, uh I think that's a great drummers, but it's a bit flashy, it's a bit much sometimes, 
And sometimes songs don't need that. Sometimes albums don't need that. Sometimes albums just need solid, solid rhythm um, and solid, solid drum grooves. And that's what this album has in spades. Um, yeah, absolutely. And the guitars as well. Great tones. Um, what I liked about it, this is another um, female-led album. Like, we've been listening to a lot of them. Mm-hmm. And it's a modern one. And it's an alternative indie one. But it's not ethereal and a bit wishy-washy. It's it's almost like your, your mid-2000s indie. Um, not as poppy as some of the mid-2000s indie, but it's it's a bit more energetic uh, when it needs to be yeah. than some of the ethereal stuff. So I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah. Really Do you know what it reminds me of a little bit is when the Beatles started doing like Revolver or Rubber Soul. And they start getting in the studio a little more and they start like working on the sounds. Like I think that you're right, the drum sounds are great on this album, but they sound different, but in a good way. They do. Like they sound, like I I was reading up on it and apparently they wanted it to sound like you were in the control room with them listening to the album. Like you were in the room listening and like kind of, I think that's what you you hear in a lot of the drum kits. They just have like... uh, like big room mics on them or so it's not like every drum is mic'd up it's like this big like just mics just pointed towards drums and things like that and i think it really helps and it gives it this amazing like palette i I just think it sounds so great and you know i kind of got like this 70s palette from some of the drums but then sometimes i didn't at all and it was completely different and there was some of that late 90s 2000 stuff that you were talking about and I just love that it sounds different than the last album as well. I just really enjoy that. It's another album that is quite honest with its lyrics, isn't it? Definitely. Definitely, I found that, yeah. And so some songs that... What were some songs that stood out for you? Do you have um, any specifically? Talking about honesty in in lyrics, um, Man from the Magazine um, just did that great viewpoint of being a woman in what is, I guess, still quite a male, um, male-led industry, the music industry and, and I suppose the entertainment industry, um, yeah, great insight into being a woman in the world of music. The line or the the verse that really got me from Man from the magazine was the verse about going into a guitar shop and being handed a starter guitar, and it's this kind of gendered bias towards that. Well. Women can be guitarists, but if you're going into a guitar shop, you're not going to pick up the three grand Gibson. You need to start on a on a you know a Squire Fender Squire starter pack because you're not going to know what to do because you're a woman. You know what it's I mean? And, and I've never it? experienced that. You've yeah. never experienced that, I'm sure. No. Um, but the these these women can play a lot better than me. Um, mm. Can play better than you. The you know, the oh, yeah. Grammy winning yeah. award winning artist. So yeah. it's a bit insulting to them to be assumed that just because of their gender, they're not going to be up there with some of the other top selling artists of all time. When, yeah, so that that was something that stood out to me. And, Again, that's, in why they call- and-, and that's why they called it Women in Music Part 3 because they're fed up with being asked what it's like to be women in music. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Do you know what I mean? Like, they can they hold, they can hold their own, and it sounds ridiculous saying that because it's obvious and it shouldn't need to be said, should it? 
No, it shouldn't. But but this is the kind of gendered bias that that seems to just exist in the world, mm-hmm. um, and it's it's something that again needs needs work and needs people to take take stock of themselves and have conversations with themselves. Um, and me, and this is clearly the way the world's going, which is a good thing where people are starting to call out these issues of things being said about them or being thought about them, even subconsciously, and and they're calling those out and and calling out those experiences and making people like me, like you, who haven't had those experiences, making us sit up and listen about them. Mm-hmm. And it's really good and it's really refreshing and more people definitely need to do it. Um, so, yeah, that, that one stood out to me. Um, F-U-B-T. Not that I know what that stands for. Fubbed. Um, that one stood out to me. That was a good song. Um, good intro. Felt like a bit of an old, like, 70s rock song. With the tone of the guitar, it felt like something that Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers would have put out. Um, that kind of... It was a bit chorusy. I don't know what the... the yeah, it's like was. a phaser um, effect, isn't it? And, yeah, it's really stripped back. Yeah, yeah. And it's really stripped back until it goes into this, like, great solo at the end. Um... So I really enjoyed that one. Um, and then Don't Wanna, Don't Wanna, there you go, that stood out. Um, good bass line. That's what, I've got the notes here, the notes say, Don't Wanna stood out, bass line. <laughs> yeah, nice, okay. Um, so, Brilliant. Yeah, um, oh, wrong, great album. What, 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 what songs stood out for you? There were a few. Uh, I Know Alone was one of them. So it's all about how, like, sometimes you can feel that isolation and this was obviously recorded before this whole world pandemic. But, you know, I think we've all felt like I know alone, like no one else has known, is basically the lyric. And I, I think we're, a lot of us are feeling that, aren't, they? aren't we? Like, um, So, yeah, that, that was... I love that song. Really enjoyed it. Um, Hallelujah. On So on the deluxe version... It's got this song, Hallelujah, and it's just amazing. And, you know, a few weeks ago we were talking about honest writing. And um, let me just read you the third verse of this song. It says, uh, I'll read, just read half of it, but it said, I had a best friend, but she has come to pass. One I wish I could see now. You always remind me that melodies will last. These arms reach out. And it's basically this song about having lost a friend really early on. And the, the song is called Hallelujah, and it said, and the chorus is, "Why me? How did I get this Hallelujah? Why me? How did I get this Hallelujah?" And it's like the Hallelujah is something very sacred, but it's like a scar as well. You know what I mean? It's like it's deep. <laughs> it's absolutely so deep, and I, I just love the album, and I love Haim, and I'm going to spend more time on this album. I wish it had got longer before we talked about it, but. I just, there's so much to learn from them. There's absolutely so much to learn. And I, I really like, um, like one of my favourite albums of all time is Father of the Bride by uh, Vampire Weekend. Oh my goodness, I love every song off it and I could just listen to it back to back forever. And Danielle, who's the lead singer from Hive, she sings a lot on it and they do the, like this duet kind of like backwards and forwards thing and it's it's so old school but it's, there's something really like new about it or like I don't know I find music these days is a bit generic and Haim are not generic at all 
Um, but there is something familiar about it and there is something that you just love hearing. So I really love them. And I love this album. Yeah. Amazing. And they said, uh, so this is a quote from them, but have you ever heard of Bonnie Raitt? She does. She yes, had, she had an album called well. Nick of Time. And the the song is Nick of the Time off that album. It's quite big, but but that album is a big influence on this album. And I want to tell you, if you haven't heard that song, go and check it out. Nick of Time by Bonnie Raitt. Because when I heard them drop that, I was like, "Come on!" I've been I listened to that song at the beginning of the year. I heard it. I was like, "Yes, this is so good." So there you go. Okay, so Asm, would you rather? Uh, the Johnny Cash album or this Haim album? I feel like this is one of the more trickier decisions, but it, it may not be for you, but I know for me I'm thinking about it. I'll be honest, for me, it's it's not that tricky. Um, <laughs> as much as I really do like Haim and this album's really good and I, I, I'm looking forward to listening to it more and their previous albums are really good and I'm a big fan of this. I'm just... Johnny Cash is one of my musical heroes. Like, the amount of times I spent in my bedroom pretending to be Johnny Cash singing the songs from this from this album um, live from Folsom Prison like learning them trying to perfect his little strumming technique all this yeah I'm keeping the Johnny Cash album um, amazing for, for me um, but it, quality wise it is tough I think it's just my own personal bias towards Johnny Cash that makes me just mm. love it that much yeah. I think I'm gonna do the same. And I wasn't expecting to. No. But there was just something really deep that happened to me on like that twenty five minute song. And like you know, I just really loved some of the songs and I kinda thought like I don't know, I just really enjoyed it. So and I, I bet you in like six months when I've spent more time with this high album I'd probably say different, but I can't imagine a world without that Johnny Cash album. And I think that's, you know, that's a tough choice, isn't it? But but this Haim album is brilliant, so it's kind of a bit of a hard choice. What would you um what would you give the Johnny Cash album a rating? If it was out of five, what would you give it? I'm gonna go for a five. Jeez. I'm going for a five. Jeez, it is. You know what? <clears throat> Again this is this is personal bias. But I just listening back to this album, this is an album that, as I said, I've got a vinyl. It was one of the first vinyls I bought um, when I kind of got into collecting vinyls. Um, And then I've not listened to it a lot kind of since getting it. Um, And that was like four or five years ago or something. And honestly, I just fell back in love with Johnny Cash and his voice and his humour and his guitar playing. And I'm going to listen to it. I'm going to watch Walk the Line probably after this. I'm going to watch it. Um, And just... Yeah, so so this album is just getting it's getting a five. I think it's I think it's brilliant. Amazing, amazing, so good, so good. Uh, do you know what? I'm giving it a four. Okay. So this is without a doubt the best rated album from me and you so far. Mm. It clears everything else out the water, Definitely. really. Um, and I'm not sure it's better than some of the other things that we've listened to, but maybe it's our personal taste. Mm. That are just like, and that's okay, isn't it? Because it's kind of what we like. But yeah, a nine overall from us, which is really strong. So 
There you go. It, it's not going like we haven't talked about Hall of Fame for a while because um, we decided that just to talk about it every week while we weren't putting <laughs> albums in there was a bit ridiculous. But yeah. is to recap, people, the Hall of Fame is where we can pick ten albums that will go in our Hall of Fame. We get ten each. I already have two in there. You have one in there. Yours is the Elvis Costello album. Mine is the Bob Dylan album and something else that I've already forgotten about. But um, And if you've forgotten about it, should it be in your Hall of Fame? That's the question. Yeah, I know, I know. Well, it's getting quite late at night, but um, <laughs> I'll have a think anyway. But while, while you say, does this go in your Hall of Fame or why doesn't it? Or uh, uh, Yeah, it does. Um, yeah, <laughs> partly okay, it would be good. wrong of me to give it a five and not, and not put it in personally. But also, this is Johnny Cash. Apart from the American recordings, which are incredible, this is kind of Johnny Cash at his best. This is him being funny. This is him being heartfelt. This is him just being brilliant. So, yeah, it goes in. Amazing. Amazing. There we go. So... Uh, I'm going to start keeping notes of these, otherwise I'm going to forget them, because I've already remembered what it is, but mine was Bitches Brew by Miles Davis. They got got in my Hall of Fame. Yeah, which is interesting. Uh, So, yeah. Yeah, I stand by that. I still listen to it. Fair enough. Yeah, I still enjoy it. So, yeah, don't you be trying to mess my list up, you know. Uh, But, yeah, so there you go. So, you now have two albums in there. Uh, Elvis Costello's This Year's Model. And you have this latest album at Folsom Prison by Johnny Cash. So there we go. And I, I guess like this Johnny Cash one is just, it's like a deeper level than the Elvis Costello one. Isn't yeah, it? there are some layers to this one. Definitely, definitely. Amazing. So good. Right. Well, we are already, this is already our longest episode so far. <laughs> and that's all good because we enjoy doing it. Uh, but we are, we're going to do a question and answer session this episode and i mean we've already gone over so we are going to do a bonus episode this week all of the content tell you what all of it so you can expect that in the next couple of days as well so keep your eyes peeled your ears open and that'll be coming so but thank you so much for listening uh we would love it if you would subscribe if you haven't already leave us a rating uh and a review we love that. Adam, if people want to get a word in the review, we did have some people put Geordie into the title, but what if like they did something a bit smarter, like they had to get a phrase or a song title or some lyrics in that we we had to then research to find out where it's from? Oh. oh. What, what do you think? Uh, yeah, have you got one in mind? <laughs> well, I was maybe thinking, so what... What is next week's album? Let's have a look. So next week's album is The Wall by Pink Floyd. So I wonder... Yeah, I know. The Wall by Pink Floyd. I was wondering if you can get any kind of colour-based fence. No, not really. But (laughs) (laughs) colour-based. If you get any type of wall or fence or cladding, anything like that, if you can get it in there. (laughs) With a colour, with a specific specific shade, you might like the eggshell emerald from B&Q. If it's on the official Dulux chart, I'm okay with it. That's my crown paint now, but Dulux, yes. 
I'm not sure people are going to bite on this, but if you can get a Dulux color in there, we will be buzzing. So there we go. Amazing, amazing. So thank you so much for listening. You can find us on Instagram at Elvanilo. Uh, on my personal handle is Matt Courtney Music. Adam, your personal handle is... Is Adam Courtney 95 That's Courtney. And I realise I don't pronounce my T's. In, I say Courtney sometimes. Adam Courtney 95 I've always thought you were quite Adam Corny. Wow. To be honest. Just reminds me of, um, <laughs> for all the, the music lovers, musical lovers out there, just reminds me of Hairspray, Corny Collins, played by the I wonderful Eddie Marsden. Uh, or Ed Marsden. Ed Marsden? James Marsden? I think Eddie Marsden. Sorry, I've got him here on little mind there for a second. Sorry. <laughs> Thinking about Hairspray, <laughs> as I always do. <laughs> <laughs> amazing amazing so so give us a follow uh yeah like we said we we've got an email address as well elvanilo podcast at gmail.com questions in like any like anything you want to chat about we're well up for Brilliant. it and as we've already revealed next week's album is the war by pink floyd and adam you slated pink floyd a couple of Did weeks I? ago so i'm yeah you oh. kind of said i don't know why anyone would listen well, to them yeah to be fair and I'm sure we'll get onto this depending on how well this album goes down. That's only because some Pink Floyd songs are incredible. Some of them, for me, are just garbage and people laud them as these amazing. It's kind of another who situation, possibly. But who knows? We'll have to wait and see. Hopefully it's not another yeah, who, Tommy situation. But we'll find out. I don't think it's going to be. I don't <laughs> think it's going to be. But we'll find out. We'll find out. Um, and you know what? Somebody else other than me... <laughs> Can you believe it? Has actually picked the album that we'll be comparing it to. Oh. And so, yeah, I know. So we're going to listen to Foolish Loving Spaces by The Blossoms by Dan Latham. So Dan Latham has been in touch and he has said, I would like you guys to compare this album to, and he actually said, I asked Adam if he'd listen to it and give, tell me what he thinks about it, but he hasn't. So now I'm asking you to do it on the podcast. Well, I've been called out there. Um, listen. <laughs> now you have to. That's No, I guess I have to. Well, I'm just going to refuse. I just... Uh, no. You can't refuse. You can't refuse. Just because Danny asked, really. That's, uh, that's why. Uh, no, that's well, I, li- I like that he asked. And if, if you... Uh, listening out there have an album that you want us to compare it to or even your favorite albums tell us about it we want to hear about it uh so yeah so we're really looking forward to it like we'd love to listen along to those albums with you Mm, and we look forward to uh being with you next week have a great week take care